Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA, which is America's Great Cruisers Association. We are here for another episode of our DocTales Live, and joining me today are Rick and Rhonda Spikeman. They are recent Gold Loopers, so they just recently completed the Great Loop, and they are going to tell you the tales or the stories of their Great Loop adventures. Uh, if you haven't joined us for one of these before, basically we, we try to do them around the traditional DocTales time, and DocTales, of course, is a take on cocktails, and it's traditional for loopers to spend some time together after everyone has tied up for the evening at a dock or settled into an anchorage. Lots of folks get together and share the, the stories of the day. So we created this DocTales Live on social media so we could do some interviews with some of our members and get some information to those of you who are newer to the idea of the Great Loop. So a quick um, kind of housekeeping thing I want to actually point out though. Um, we are coming to you today on Facebook, the AGLCA's Facebook page, but also in the Great Loop Facebook group, which is uh, sponsored by AGLCA. If you are watching us in the Great Loop group on Facebook, the comments don't come in to us the same way. They'll come in kind of anonymous. So if you want to make a comment with your name showing, uh, visit this page that I have showing up here on the slide, streamyard.com slash Facebook and give it your permission to share your name and your profile photo from Facebook, and then you'll come through to us with your actual name. You're, of course, also welcomed to um, stay anonymous if you prefer and ask a question that way. So that's always an option as well. And uh, we will take your questions as we go along. So that's a little bit of the, the mechanics out of the way. And um, we did get one comment already, Rick and Rhonda, from a Facebook user. So they're watching us on the group. This is kind of the anonymous that I mentioned, um, but this is coming from someone there on Facebook who said, so fun, remember their very first day on the loop. So whoever that, put that, that if you go a, to streamyard.com, yep, streamyard.com slash Facebook and give it permission to show us who you are, um, that would be great. You can also go to facebook.com slash AGLCA, and for whatever reason, the pages in Facebook don't have that same restriction as the group does. Um, but thank you for that comment. Whoever that came from, we appreciate it. So uh, I'd like to officially introduce Rick and Rhonda. They are or, or were for their loop aboard R&R, &R, which is their boat, which they still have, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but first, Rick and Rhonda, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourselves and about your great loop. Ourselves. Well, we, uh, we are based in Holland, Michigan now, and uh, that's where we started on our loop in September of 2019. And uh, so we uh, had to take a break in the middle for uh, kind of a COVID hiatus, but we finished in about two years, ended up back here in Holland after 6,800 miles in uh, August of this year. So we're just back home, kind of adjusting to life on land after being gone mostly for two years. And how is that adjustment to life on land going? We hear sometimes about uh, post-loop letdown or post-loop blues. Any, any, how's that going for the two of you? Well, I, I'm glad you put a title on it because for me, it was, it, it surprised me, even though I'd heard of it. Um, I just felt like I was in a funk for a few, a few weeks, actually, because every day we were getting up and making a plan. And even if we weren't going anywhere, we had a plan. And now we're back here um, in our home in Holland, which is a lovely place to be. There's big red in the background, if you can see the lighthouse. Mm -hmm. so for those of you who have traveled by um, down the shore of Lake Michigan, um, but all is well now. It, 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 it is a real thing for some people and it, it passes. And uh, we're just looking forward now to our next adventure. And we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. But since we didn't get to Canada, we're going back there next summer. Yes, and, and we will definitely talk about that. Um, we've got a, a hello for you from Carousel. Hey, hey Mike and Deb. <laughs> Our river Thank friends you. is where we met them. On the we've river. got another one for you. Um, oh, Brockman Sanders. You from Kentucky. Hey, Brockman. He was yeah, thanks for joining us. Most faithful blog followers. Oh, very nice. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. So um, let's talk a little bit about 
your Great Loop stats. You know, tell us a, a little bit about um, you know how long it's used. And you did give us some of the basics, but um, Rick, I think you said you did kind of put together a list of some of those stats. So let's run through those. Yeah, I tend to be kind of detail oriented. So I, uh, as we went along, I kept a log every day. Most captains will do that about all the different parts of, you know, where you went, how many miles, how many hours, this sort of thing. So once we're all finished, the summary of it is we traveled 126 days total. We were gone a total of 713 days. So almost two years. And we traveled 6,748 miles and uh, average miles per day was 53, uh, but there was a big range. I mean, there, we were, we just went from one little place to another little place down the way, a three mile day. And then our longest day was 180 miles crossing the, the Gulf. Um, total hours on our boat was 639 and our average hours per day was about five. And again, some days you just kind of have a little uh, run around. Sometimes you're gone for 10 hours, but we averaged out to about five. Uh, we went through 77 locks. Uh, we were mainly in marinas. I know a lot of other people anchor more. We loved anchoring, but we only did it six times in the whole loop. And if there's one thing we'd love to change, that would be it if we cruise more. Um, that's pretty much it. Some basics. Happy to answer any questions that you or others might have, though. Yes, and if anyone does have any questions, you are welcome to type those into the comments. We can see them here and get those answered. Um, I, I do love that the average, even though it varies greatly, ended up being 53 miles a day because kind of the, the rule of thumb we use for the loop is that the average tends to be about 50 miles. Um, and, of mm. course, everybody's different, but it just seems like across the board that works out to be the average, which of course leads to the average um, number of days you're actually traveling, which is usually right in that 125 or so. And that's, you know, basically doing the math of a 6,000 mile route. Um, but it's interesting that your stats were, were right on with that. Tell us a little bit more, if you would, about why you anchored six days. You know, you did mention that if there was something you could change, it would be that. Was there something compelling that was uh, driving you towards marinas that often? Security. Mm -hmm. To be quite honest, we were um, we didn't have any uh, experience with anchoring and somewhere along the way near the end, we got a, a better anchor, according to our captain, my captain. Uh, we, we finally <laughs> sprung for the nice rock. Nut. <laughs> but until, until then, I think that we well, number one, we just like the convenience of being in a marina and the camaraderie with other uh, people in the marina or other loopers, but the times we did anchor, we were uh, mostly with someone else who had done it before and made us more comfortable with it, uh, which was which was great. But those turned out to be some of the best uh, memories that we have. We just don't have very many of those. So hopefully, <laughs> summer uh, we'll be able to, we'll we'll just feel more confident. I think it was just for for us, you know, just lack of lack of um, experience. Yeah, so when you um, initially answered security, Rhonda, that was from the experience, the, the having practiced it, not so much from a worry oh, no. about crime security, correct? Oh, none of that, none of that. Okay. No, no, no. You're was, talking comfort. I was just talking about, we know the boat is tied up, it's secure, it's not going anywhere in, during the night. <laughs> and I think that you made that pretty clear as you kept talking, but I just wanted to make sure it was absolutely crystal clear because yeah. we occasionally do get uh, people who are worried about, um, you know, if someone were to approach their boat at anchor, um, right. that you're not, you know, if you're not at a marina or not on land, you could be more isolated, things like that. So I think that's clear now, just wanted to make sure. So we've got um, a shout out from someone I think you probably know. Hey, daughter. And is this, uh, I'm guessing from the profile picture of her, this might be a daughter who was recently married? While we were on the loop. Yes. So well, congratulations, Erica. <laughs> we came home in May for her wedding for about a month. But mm -hmm. uh, back to the security thing just for a second. I'm a little bit of a nervous Nelly about certain things. And um, I just wanted to make sure everybody knew that we never felt one time that we were um, in any danger. No, never. never, never at anchor, never in a marina, never any time, and not ever in 
uh, sees, you know, um, that we, you know, there were times when we weren't comfortable, but we were never fearful. So that for me was a big thing to be able to say that, that I was, um, you know, not fearful at the whole time. So if anybody has that as a um, issue, it didn't, it wasn't one for us. Well, that is uh, very good to hear because that is something that's come up um, on a fairly consistent basis recently after a couple of um, incidents of some boats being untied. I'm sure you heard about at the at the Joliet wall and most of the um, very experienced loopers have still said they wouldn't hesitate to stop there. Um, and I don't want to rehash that again. Um, it's, it's been pretty well out there on Facebook, but a lot of questions have come up. So I appreciate Rhonda, you sharing that you never felt unsafe. Um, you know, while you were out there on the loop, both from a, a crime and safety perspective, but also from a boating safety perspective. So we appreciate that. And Juliet was our second day on the loop. Mm -hmm. We didn't know what we didn't know. So we, just, yeah. we were fine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think um, not to be outdone by his sister, perhaps. <laughs> Your son. That is chiming in. Hey, John. following. Um, yeah, and a couple other family members. So thank you to all of the Swipemans and family for tuning in. Um, we appreciate you being here to kind of celebrate Rick and Rhonda's accomplishments. And we also have um, Giovanni from Quebec uh, chimed in just to say he's listening and starting his loop in June of 2022. So Giovanni, thanks for joining us. And we certainly are excited for our Canadian loopers to have an easier time getting themselves and their boats into the U.S. in the coming season. And we'll touch on that a little bit because um, Rick and Rhonda did mention that they did not get to do Canada. Um, and that's, of course, because the border was closed in both directions for most of the season due to COVID, um, eventually opened for U.S. voters to cross into Canada and then subsequently for Canadian voters to come here. But it was a little late in the season for our Canadian members to actually be able to join us here in the U.S. So, um Let's talk a little bit, um, and we'll probably come back to this because we tend to get lots of questions about it, but let's go ahead and jump into R&R. Tell us about your boat, um, its features, and why you chose it for the loop. Okay. Um, we had, Our boat is a 2003 Carver 460, 460 Voyager. Um, so 46 feet long, 15 foot beam, it needs only four feet of water, so we didn't really have a lot of depth problems. Uh, has twin diesel engines, and it does have bow thruster and stern thruster, which some people call cheaters, but I love them. You know, if, if you, we're in spots from time to time where, uh, you know, we had boats in the front and the back that were just a few feet away, and I love the ability to just sideways in or sideways out. So the boat really was, uh, like any boat, it's a series of compromises. We've heard that a hundred times. But uh, what happened was we were looking for a boat that we felt would be comfortable living on, just kind of like a moving home for a year, we thought at the time. And it was Rhonda's real goal to make sure we had a boat that was big enough and had the accommodations that we could invite guests. So we did that. And it has three cabins. Really legitimately, it has two cabins you can use plus a storage room, but it does have two heads. So we did have a lot of guests and we really enjoyed that. The boat really treated us well all the way and, and uh, we liked it a lot. You know, there's there are, there are things that aren't, that we saw other boats that had things that we wished we had. And Rhonda can answer some of those mainly from the first mate's perspective, but uh, we loved it. it, it treated us well. Go, go ahead, Rhonda. What are some of the things that, you know, maybe you came across while you were on the loop that you wished R&R had? Well, in locking, you know, it's our job to be out and about either catching the bollards or holding the lines. And our um, we have a nice rail around. We have a walk around. You'll hear people talk about a walk around. We have that. But um, I was very envious of folks that had a higher rail and or or it stepped down you know so you're not we were just right on the edge there and then the rail came up i don't know how to describe that but um it wasn't like a trawler feel where you kind of step down into the um uh the outside area i would have liked there you go see it was just straight across um on the outside and so i was holding on all the time 
Um, the old adage, one hand for you, one hand for the boat, always. Um, so that would be my only thing, I think, um, that I would have liked from a, just a sheer safety standpoint is just to have a little taller rails and um, a little wider side. A little wider side. I mean, I kind of had to scoot through there. Yeah. <laughs> now, the, the, what happens was every manufacturer does it differently. Carver said, we'll put the room inside. So the inside of the boat was very generous in size and they took it out of the outside. In the trawlers, if you have a foot and a half of width on the outside for walking around, they take it out of the interior. And so they tend to be a little smaller. So there's not a right or wrong way of doing it, but ours had a little more room inside, which we liked. And uh, Rhonda had to hold on tight, especially if, if the seas were moving at, when we were trying to lock or dock or something like that. That, you that mentioned, was, I'm sorry, go ahead, Rhonda. Well, that was it. That was the, about the only thing um, about this boat. I would love to have had an extra cabinet or two in my galley, but wouldn't everyone? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, but otherwise, um, I think one night for docktails, uh, when we first started the loop on the Kaskaskia Lockwall, it was about 95 degrees. So docktails out on the dock or out on the wall was not very pleasant. So we just uh, cranked on the generator and put on the air conditioning. And I think we had 12 or 13 people in our <laughs> in our salon for docktails. Well, so. it, it really is a very generous, spacious boat. And it's uh, kind of become somewhat popular for our families that we have out doing the loop because it does have the three staterooms. So I know a few families that were at our recent fall rendezvous that are uh, very much looking for a boat like yours. Um, you mentioned you wanted the three staterooms. You, you expected lots of guests. You obviously have a close family because we've seen them chiming in here with you. Tell us a little bit about how often you had guests visiting because a lot of loopers tend to find that uh, lots of people planned to come visit. And then when the realities of trying to do that from a, um, a logistics standpoint, became a little bit more challenging than they expected. Did you have a lot of guests while you were on the loop? We had 25 um, uh, occasions where we had guests on our boat overnight. And some of them were there for up to a week. Uh, we found a sweet spot was like, you know, three days because it, it's pretty small space. Uh, but, you know, with our kids or my sister and her husband, you know, we could be there lots, lots longer, but um, 25 times. And they told us when we were looking for a boat, oh, you don't need that second head because these guests say they'll come, but they don't, they won't. And I said, well, you don't know my friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fabulous. And I'm glad you did get to share the trip with so many. And we've got a, a few others, in fact, uh, sending you some shout outs, but a question first from Brian. Uh, he is wondering how you decided where to dock and where to visit. So that's a, a good question because I think um, for mo many loopers, there's some highlights they know they want to visit. But the rest of the time, you know, how were you deciding day by day where you were going to go the next day, whether it was one of those three mile days or, or one that was, you know, 70 miles? How did you pick? Okay. Hey, Brian, I uh, like your top hat, by the way. <laughs> um, you know, we had a lot of, of resources. We had books that we relied on. Uh, there was a book by, who was it? Looper's Companion Guide. Looper's Companion Guide. And there are, if anybody who's planning for the loop, there are a number of books like this you can read where you can look at Waterway Guide, Looper's Companion, and it's somebody else's loop, somebody else's choices about how far they chose to go. And so we would read those. Sometimes we would say, well, they only want to go 30 miles. We can go a little further. Let's go. Other times, uh, and often we would have two or three options. And I, I think of it similar to driving down the interstate and thinking about where you're going to end up tonight, thinking about you may have two or three options and you better make the reservations before you get there because there may not be space by the time you get there. So we usually at the beginning of the day had a pretty good idea of where we might end up. And we often would have kind of a plan B or there might be two options in the city we were going to or something like that. And depending on where you start your loop, because um, you kind of get into a rhythm, but we started on the rivers. So our first day was Holland to Hammond um, and then right, right down the rivers. So we were in a pack of boats 
And that was tons of fun. We didn't talk about that. It had to do with locks. Yeah, we were we were doing the rivers. You know, this was and people who have been all the way around started in Florida and they're back there going, oh, you know, the rivers and it, it, they are a, 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 their unique challenge. And it was very hot that that fall when we started. But we were having a great time. We were brand new. This is fun. <laughs> Uh, but it, uh, we, we often would just, um, follow the crowd. Right. So Especially the on the rivers, uh, the lock masters want a group of boats to go through at the same time. So whether you choose to or not, you end up going with a group of three or four or six or 10 boats, uh, as you're going down, especially through the rivers, down a series of locks. When we're really opened up and we had to plan more detail was once we hit Mobile, Alabama, and we're out in the Gulf and it's kind of everybody scattered. And then we had to decide where we're gonna go. So what I would say is there are a lot of good resources. You can do some planning. If you're at a marina, you can always talk to the people on the boat next to you or the dock master. And almost all of them will say, well, you know, you might not wanna to go to that marina because their whatever is broken this year or something like that. So lots of input. Okay, we've got a few more uh, folks saying hello to you. Uh, Carolyn Russ from Spirit. Hey, Carol. Hey, Russ. Thanks for joining. Hey, guys. Um, we, we met them Kevin and I. I remember. Yes. Oh, sorry. Yes. We, we met Russ and Carol in Cumberland Island. They dingied right up to the back of our boat and we got acquainted. <laughs> nice. And Kevin and Raquel, I, for some reason, I'm not placing their boat name, but hi, Kevin and Raquel. I hello. see your names quite frequently. Uh, welcome. And we've also got Susan Pellet, who is one of our gold loopers as well. Hi, Susan. Um, Susan also sent a comment that, and I'm looking for some feedback from the rest of you who are watching. Um, Susan says that she's uh, having a hard time hearing. Um, I think she's um, having a hard time perhaps hearing one side of it. Um, so Susan, if you could let us know or if somebody else watching is, uh, you know, finding the volume to be a problem, let us know. That is something that we cannot monitor because, of course, I'm only hearing through the the, the application, um, Rick and Rhonda, and they're only hearing me. and We're not hearing our own voice. So we made some adjustments before we started based on feedback from other sessions. But if, if the audio is uneven, uh, in the past, occasionally, my voice has been much louder than the guest voice which prevented everyone from turning up their speakers to hear the guests better because then I was just blowing them out of the water. So we think we've got it pretty even, but if I'm louder, I can we can do some adjustments. So I'm seeing several that are saying it sounds good here. Um, so uh, Susan, <laughs> um, hopefully you can hear better. Um, or maybe Susan was just saying she had a speaker issue. I, I could have misinterpreted that whole thing. But <laughs> anyway, thank you for those of you who are saying that the volume is good. Very much appreciate that. Um, let's go ahead, since we were just kind of talking about how you selected where you would stop, let's jump to what some of your absolute favorite ports were along the way. Oh, go ahead. Oh, goodness. That is a, that is a difficult question to answer. I did think about that. Um, we spent two winters in the Keys and we loved it down there. We were in uh, Stock Island. We were in, um, Ferro Blanco and we were at Marlin Bay. And we thought that was really fun. In fact, this winter, because we still have friends on the loop and we had friends we met there who are going to be there, we're going to drive to the Keys <laughs> and catch up with some of our um, our looper boater friends. Um, but we, we enjoyed that. Um, and we were at a month at each of these places in the Keys. So we kind of got to feel like residents in the area and really got to explore the town, which yeah. was fun. Yeah. And um, I, I love the East Coast. Um, we're from the Midwest, so the rivers were, um, seemed like at home. You know, we were just, it was very, very uh, familiar. Um, but then coming up the East Coast, um, Cumberland Island, like I mentioned, Fernandina uh, Beach, um, Jekyll, um, which we were supposed to be there this week. As a matter of fact, we liked it so much. We were going to go back this week and had some technical difficulties. didn't get to go, but um, we uh, love New York. Our kids joined us there uh, for a few days. A lot of it has to do with um, the place, but also who else is there for me. 
um, anyway. And um, Norfolk, we enjoyed Norfolk because we had friends there that we had met. Um, Annapolis, I like the Erie. And then we loved, 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 um, once we couldn't do Canada, um, we went up and uh, went to Drummond Island and the tour village and the Les Chenault Islands. And we had company uh, with us during a lot of that time. And it was beautiful. I'm a, Mich I'm a Michigander now, having, having been a Hoosier all of my life, but um, I have no um, familiarity with the UP. And it is you know, Michigan's Upper there. Peninsula is beautiful. It's kind of like the introduction to Canada that we missed. You know, another it, the other thing that I think of is it does depend on where you, the times that we had the best time and we look back with good memories. Often it is you run into either people you don't know who become friends, or you run into people again, catch up with them, go out to dinner, whatever it might be. And so you remember those things. I, we had to wait about four days at Apalachicola to cross over the Gulf of Mexico, just waiting for the weather to be as good as it could be. And we had a great time at Apalachicola. I love the little town. It's kind of like the oyster capital of the U.S. And it has it's just a nice little town to walk around. So I like that one, too. And we were there with, you know, renowned loopers. We were there with one eye dog. We were there with lucky me. time. So and there was one other one I forget. But um, so and we've kept in touch with all those people um, since then. Yeah, well, and, and speaking of Lucky Me, I want to talk a little bit about, um, because I know I've, I've seen some pictures of one of the projects they did in your local area, so I do want to mention that, um, but we do have another shout out to you from another family member. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Jay? I'm not sure. <laughs> Jay might just be tagging on to your, your children if you said hello. <laughs> but hey, Jay! <laughs> Oh. Okay, um, so we were talking about Lucky Me, and that, of course, is Susan and Greg Costa, and they do um, something that they started that they call Looper's Care, and they do um, kind of service projects or help the local community with a specific need in different areas of the loop, and I know recently they did one of those projects in your local area, and you joined them for that, so tell us a little bit about that, if you would. Go ahead. Oh, it was a privilege to be able to... Um, work alongside them for that project. Um, they, I think probably many of you saw, she put out a, a, a blast about where, well, maybe you didn't, but it was at locally about where should we, uh, whom, whom should we bless? And um, Holland came through with a million yeah. <laughs> suggestions on organizations and they chose two or three. And then we went out and did some shopping. Susan and Greg were kind of, um, here for several days, they were having some work done on their boat. So we got to spend a good chunk of time with them when they were here and got to go to these organizations and um, uh, drop off things that uh, we had um, purchased that were on their wish lists. And it was just, um, you know, I'm, I'm in awe of their commitment to that along the loop because they are, they're very consistent with it. And uh, we were happy to just be a little part of that. Yeah, they are, and they've done some great projects. So it's um, certainly something I'm hoping, um, and they're, they're, of course, on their second loop right now, but it's something that I'm hoping someone else will kind of pick up that torch and carry it along once uh, Greg and Susan are finished with the second loop, and then someone can continue that. Well, they've got um, great creativity, great energy, and I can say kudos to them. That they absolutely do. Um so a couple of questions for you. Um, Giovanni's wondering if you anchored very much in the Keys. Um, I know you mentioned three specific marinas, one in uh, Key West, I believe, and two in Marathon. Um, right. And if you didn't join us initially, um, Rick and Rhonda mentioned that they did not anchor a whole lot on this first loop, but they plan to do more of that later. So in the Keys, did you do any anchoring? Not at all. We did not. Not at all. When we were, uh, the closest we came in the Keys is when we were in Marathon, we went out to Sombrero Reef to snorkel, and we tied onto a mooring ball for the day. But that was the closest we came to uh, anchoring there. Okay. Um, 
another question somewhat related. Eric was wondering, given that you rarely anchored, um, did you use your dinghy often? Because that's a question we actually get a lot is, is do you have to have a dinghy to do the Great Loop? And, and generally it depends a lot on whether you plan to anchor. So uh, d tell us about, you know, did you have a dinghy and did you use it a lot? We did. You know, I, I told uh, Kim we on our blog, I, I, there are some things that were fun to me and I wrote about them. And one of them was our dinghy experience. When we bought the boat, I thought I needed a dinghy of a certain size, so I bought one. They tried to put it on the boat, and then they told me it was too large. So we had to trade that one. Then we got one that turned out to be too small. We got in it and almost flipped on us. Dinky dinghy. <laughs> that was yeah. the dinky dinghy. And then the third dinghy we got finally was the right size. And uh, <laughs> so it was a 10 and a half foot. The, the Carver Voyager has a lift. Uh, kind of a cable lift that'll lift it up and set it on the back of the flybridge. And so we that's where we stored it. And we used our dinghy a lot. I would say from my perspective, I would not do the loop without a dinghy. If you want to anchor a lot, then you really need one. Even if you don't, some of our fun times down in the Keys were friends who would give a call or come by and say, hey, we're going to go out dinghy riding to Mud Key tomorrow. You want to go? And so we would, you know, get out in the dinghies and go two or three or four or five miles out into the Gulf and hang out and check out the wildlife, go through some of these areas. Uh, or if you, even if you're at a, uh, say a, a marina for a month, it's a nice way to have a smaller vehicle to get around in. If you want to zoom over to a restaurant or bar for the evening, a dinghy is a nice way of doing that if you don't have any other transportation. So yes, yeah, we use we use it a lot. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, we have another hello. This one uh, is from or, uh, or not, which yeah. is in the, the text of the comment there. This is coming from the Facebook group where Facebook doesn't allow us to see who you are. Um, but so hello or not. Good to hear yeah. from you. Uh, good, to, good to hear from you. We um, toured their boat before we hardly knew what the loop was. One of the questions you said you might ask was how did you get interested in the loop? Yes. And um, I was in an organization and um, we were taking RSVPs for a September event. And um, Maggie Silo, who was also a gold looper, um, typed in uh, or emailed, well, we'll be somewhere on the Mississippi, so I won't make it. And I thought, well, where are you, why are you going to be on the Mississippi? So this was <laughs> in 2018 in, in September. And so we got to know Maggie and Rich. We saw them off when they left on their loop in September of 18 here from Holland, although we're both from Lafayette, Indiana. And um, within, uh, we visited them at the rendezvous. So we went to our first rendezvous in 2018. And we um, had a boat by January and we started on the loop in the fall of 19. And right. I, we'd never even heard of the great loop. Right until they said, this is what we're doing. And I think that we were at the marina to see the Silos and their boat. And then or not. And or not happened to be there. And he toured us top to bottom through the whole boat, engine room, ship. the whole thing. It was, they had a main ship. I think they had sold everything and they had all of their worldly goods on their main ship. And so wow. they, they were just kind of talking to us about what it was like to go all in on boating. Yeah, fun. Uh, some more loopers chiming in. Um, hey, Brian, I hope everything's going good. With the yeah, well, yeah. um, and we've also got a shout out from Boiling Water, who are now gold loopers. So, hey, Pat, welcome. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. This is a lot of fun when we have a lot of interaction from other loopers. Um, I do want to kind of, since you um, were kind enough to send me some great pictures, I do want to go ahead and show some of those. and. Um, Maybe have you. Well, if you notice, Pat Boyle's boat looks just like this. Um, he has a 450 Voyager. And when we pulled into the rendezvous in 19, that we were side by side. And so we traveled the rest of the rivers together. And our boats are very similar. Ours is a 460. His is a 450. But they're really very, very similar boats. We learned, I learned a lot from Pat, who is a longtime captain. Uh, who had the same boat that I did. And there were a lot of things where Pat was saying, well, Ricky ought to do this. 
oh, okay, I thought, I'll learn. But uh, so this is a picture really close to the end of our loop. We were going south on Lake Michigan, and we had a number of people following our blog as we went through the loop. I would post probably every two or three days. And this was someone who had followed our blog who said, you're going to be going right past my cottage on Lake Michigan in a couple of days. So I, I figured out where he was, pulled within a quarter mile ashore, hit the horn a couple of times. He, he took this picture and texted it to me. So this wow. is up on Lake Michigan just a couple of days before we got back to Holland. Yeah, that's great. Question um, that I have for you while I'm looking at this picture is, of course, I see the bikes on the bow. And yeah. that's another question we get asked a lot is, is how often do you use bikes on the loop? And, and that, again, varies a lot depending on the person and their comfort level on bikes typically. Um, but how often did you use your bikes? Rarely. Um, they say if you don't use them at home, you're probably not going to use them on the loop. And um, I was not comfortable. I like to bike on bike paths. And it, there just weren't a lot of bike paths. So um, it just wasn't a fun time for me. Rick uh, used his more, and once in a while, he'd go and get uh, some provisions or something. But right. I, I don't think I was on mine more than a couple of times. And we can tell you that putting your bikes up on the front of the, uh, on the bow like that, um, we were on them. So yeah. the salt water is not very forgiving to bicycles. So if you're, if you're going to um, take, some, take some old ones or ones you don't care if they get all rusted <laughs> because yeah. that's one I, I probably used mine, I, I didn't count the times, but more, more regularly, I would take it down and go just kind of zoom around the town and see what there was to see or run to the grocery store or something like that. But getting our bikes off of the bow of that boat down onto the dock was a two-person job. You know, someone on the bow handing it down, someone on the dock grabbing it, and sometimes we just didn't have that ability. So um, I would say I liked the idea of having it, but we didn't use it as often as I thought I would. That was just our experience. Lots of people use theirs all the time. Yes. So. Yep. I think everybody's got their own experience. Ours was not as often as we thought we would. Yeah, and I'm 100% with you on that, Rhonda. I'm not real comfortable riding a bike on the street with the cars. <laughs> I'm a little klutzy, so <laughs> I prefer bike paths. And uh, yeah, for that reason, I, it's not something I would use a lot. Um, so here is a nice picture with a nice catch there for you, Rhonda. Tell us about that. Well, I am not a fisher person, um, but I decided I was going to get some gear and, and try this. And this was at an anchorage in uh, just off of Drummond Island and was one of the most fun times we had um, on the loop. It was just beautiful. But Rick's down cleaning the boat and he can't hear me. And I'm screaming, Rick, Rick, you know, because I've got a fish on. And, <laughs> and this will tell you that I'm not a fisherman. I don't know about drag you know, on the line, it just, I just kept doing this and nothing happened. So I just threw the pole down and just did this with the, with the line and pulled in that fish. So, <laughs> I think it's a big, uh, small mouth or large mouth bass. I'm not even sure which, but it was very large. And uh, people were anchored with us, uh, Ray and Diane on Radiant Journey were anchored with us and they could hear me yelling. And then they, so they got the binoculars out and they're saying, She's got a fish that's bigger than her arm. <laughs> so, but um, we had no internet, so we threw it back because neither one of us knew how to fillet it. So it just, there you go. You couldn't get a YouTube video to figure it out. Right, that's how we learn everything these days. So, <laughs> yeah. So this is, a, of course, a lock picture, and this kind of. Um, you know, maybe shows a little bit of what you were talking about earlier. Um, from this vantage point, the railings do look pretty high, but you did mention that was something that you would change if you could. So tell us a little bit more about this picture. Well, in the front, they are pretty good, but I was rarely up that far when it usually I was midship um, when we were working locks. I think this was on the, on the Erie. It was. So, uh, which is different than the rivers with the floating bollards. But, um, you know, this was one you just kind of put. <laughs> Just kind of lean back and put your weight on it to keep to keep you uh, close to the wall there. So yeah, in the Erie, they require two people to hold on, 
So Rhonda's in the on the bow holding on to that line with her gloves. I'm in the stern holding on to another one and just kind of keeping the boat close to the lock wall. There are other places where there are different devices along the lock wall where you can just loop a, a rope around it. And Rhonda would do that and I'd stay up in the engine room. So there are a lot of different ways of handling keeping you by the wall on locks. Right. So I know that we have had solo loopers who have done the Erie Canal. Um, you know, you mentioned that they you need to hold on in two places. I I, I don't know if you went through with any solo loopers, but I, I assume they would just be able to or, or have to just hold one of those lines at, at midships. I I guess. Um, we saw very few on the Erie, but it, there were I can remember one time where we were with the solo looper in a lock on a, a trawler. I think his partner just wasn't there temporarily. And he had kind of a challenge keeping that boat controlled. And he would do it from a mid midship cleat, hold something around there. But when it was time to go, he would have to quickly let go, zip up to the helm, and then take off before the boat moved too much. So yeah. I would say if you've got a boat with that's easy access to the side, like through a pilot house door or something, it can work really well especially you're up on a high uh, fly bridge like we are, boy, I think you need two people. I could not have done it alone. Absolutely yeah. not. Locking <laughs> is certainly one of the challenges for our solo loopers. And, um, you know, it's uh, partly because they don't need as much space, um, but partly because they are solo and handling the boat. It's, it's one of the reasons we often see solo loopers in some of the, um, you know, not the 45 foot boats, not the 50 foot boats, you know, a 20 something, a small uh, something in the thirties. Um, you know, so looping can be done solo, but the boat choice makes a big difference on how much of a challenge it is. And, and particularly locking through, that's going to be one of the bigger challenges for our solo loopers. But where there is a will, there's a way. Um, I've got lots of so solo loopers who can provide some advice on that if, if anyone's got questions about that. So obviously we know where this picture is. Tell us about that moment because this is a highlight for many people. Oh, yeah. We had to stage that moment because when we went through, <laughs> there was, we weren't with anyone, a uh, buddy boat. And so uh, when we had a chance to, um, well, we met people in the marina and we went out with them when they left the next day and we did a little, you drive by and we'll take yours and vice versa. So loopers are the best. Um, they are just so helpful mm -hmm. and so encouraging. This may have been taken by our kids by John and Katie. Yeah. Um, when we were out with them, actually. Um, but the picture of our boat passing by and, you know, we did that and set that up and somebody, I think it was, it was Mike, Mike Kirby. Kirby, if he's still on here, but he said, your boat's going the wrong direction. Well, <laughs> we were headed back. We were headed up the Hudson. We were headed back the other way just because of the way we were with this other boat. Um, and he noticed that right away. You're going in the wrong direction. <laughs> hey, Mike, I flipped it digitally on the photos that I published, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> but this is like going past the statue is amazing. The other one that people always like pictures of is going past the arch on the Mississippi in St. Louis. And so we would always work with other loopers who happened to be around and we would take their picture, they'd take our picture and then we'd text them or send them back and forth. Uh, there's a lot of camaraderie that way. Yeah, absolutely. We got a comment from someone who is joining us via our Facebook group. So if um, Facebook's got some different permissions in the Facebook group versus the regular Facebook page for AGLCA. So um, we've got a solo looper joining us today who's in a 38-foot trawler. Um, great to know. Wish we could see who you are. I'm sorry that we can't. You can type that in if you want us to know who you are or if you visit streamyard.com slash Facebook. You can give Facebook permission for this tool that we're coming to you through to show us who you are. Um, I'm not sure if you're a solo looper currently on the loop or, or planning or gold looper, um, but kudos to you because it is that is a bigger boat for a solo looper and, and hopefully it's working well for you. We do have solo loopers who, um, gosh, what is Herb aboard? Fan Phantom is a 53 footer, I think, um, and Herb has done multiple loops solo aboard Phantom. So like I said, it can be done. It's, it's uh, for many of us, it would bring an extra challenge for sure. Um, let's go to another picture if we can here. 
Um, that looks like you've been, you're rafted up. So tell us about this, this particular time. I yeah. think this is day two or three on our loop and we were um, rafted up in a lock um, with Tuscarora. And we traveled with them a few days and uh, many times we would have two or three across, um, you know, rafted off in some of these big locks um, on the rivers. And they would, they would typically put the larger boat on the lock wall and then you'd put your fenders out and then the next boat would come up and you tie to, it would tie to you. And sometimes they would do that three or four times just because they didn't have enough tie off points and they had more boats than tie off points. But uh, what I remember about this one, you talk about things you learn is uh, this may have been even our first lock that we went through or uh, one of the early ones. Are you sure you want to tell this story? Yeah, I think we should. <laughs> because we tied, I think I had tied it up or rounded it. I forget. One of us tied up to the to the, the uh, side of a lock. And then we went over to talk to these new friends and chat, chat, chat. And pretty quickly, one of them said is, do you have your boat tied off? I said, yeah, we're good. No problem. They said, that's not good. And they told us why. That if you get totally tied up and if something happens while the boat is going up or down that if that thing sticks your boat could be turning sideways in the lock and the only way to get it loose is to have a knife on you to cut the line so that that was a good lesson after that if it was rondo or if it was me we would tend that line rather than tying it tight Those, and stay over there and watch it not be over here visiting <laughs> right yeah and that is great advice and definitely you know something that a lot of folks don't know about locking until it you know they've they've been out there with others um and even when you're not tied off it's a good idea to have that um pocket knife yes, with you um, yeah and by the way that's just an example every day we learn no matter how much you know you will learn something every day from someone who's done it longer well, one thing I did notice, uh, particularly if this is your first lock, um, Rhonda, you cut on to needing gloves pretty quickly because it looks like you're wearing them there. Deep gloves. That really helps just with traction and whatever else. Uh, but I needed them the very most on the Erie. Those, mm -hmm. those locks, uh, hanging onto those slimy lines, you really, really needed them. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I used them here, but I, I showed this to someone and they said, you should have had shoes on. And I said, oops. Um, I probably should have had shoes on, but uh, I did have a life vest on. <laughs> That's very important. Um, one of the other things I noticed is that it looks like your fellow looper there, if I'm seeing the picture correctly, it looks like she is wearing um, a headset, marriage savers, if you will. Oh, we yeah. use marriage savers all the time. I don't know. It doesn't look like I have them on there, but we almost always use them. And so, so helpful because um, someone suggested, well, on this size boat, you really don't need them. And it, it was just nice because Rick and I could talk very quietly to each other. And the only time it was not helpful is when I would forget that I had mine on and see someone and shout out to them <laughs> and Rick's <laughs> in his ears. Mm -hmm. But um, they, we, we wouldn't do it without them. Particularly for docking, or in a lock situation like this, I would often back in, stern in to a, a slip, and from our from the helm, I cannot see back. So Rhonda would typically be back in the cockpit with the headset saying, stern to port, stern to port, slow down, 10 feet, you know, and just have a, a regular conversation rather than trying to yell over the engines. So I think they're very important. Yeah. We use them on our boat. I know a lot of people, um, as you said, you know, don't feel like they need them or, or feel like the boat's not big enough. So much of that depends on the boat design, um, because I'm sure, Rick, when you're backing in, not only can you not see, but you probably can't see Rhonda either. Um, so you know, hand signals are out of the question. Yelling is never fun. So on certain right. boats, I almost feel like they're they're mandatory. Um, I think, yep. think it makes things a lot easier. Um, so this is a group of, of loopers, many familiar faces to me in that group. So tell us a little bit about where this was and, and how that group came together. Oh, I think it was Green Turtle Bay. And that was at the Thirsty Turtle. Um, and we just showed up for Docktails there one night. Um, it was a great, great group of people. And, um, you know, it was early on in our 
in our loop. Um, and we came in that night in the dark. And um, funny story, I don't see Harlan's in there somewhere. Uh, Harlan Vince um, on Invincible, Gold Loopers. Um, he was helping us in to the slip and he told us when we crossed our loop and they were here, he said, Rick, you tried to tip me. <laughs> we didn't know it wasn't a duck hand and we were trying to give him money. <laughs> but what happened was the all the dock hands had gone home um, and the loopers came out in force and with flashlights and because we got stuck in a lock. There were um, about a dozen boats that came in after dark, had been stuck in a lock until 9 p.m. And uh, that whole group and probably more people, all of them showed up with flashlights and helped us back in. We had no idea who they were until we got there. So somebody, <laughs> I tried to tip somebody. <laughs> I, I think I gave a glass of scotch to somebody else. He, he didn't refuse it. <laughs> well, that's, you know, speaks so highly of the kind of camaraderie that you find among loopers because we hear that, you know, thankfully it's not too often that you get delayed by locks or otherwise caught off guard and end up um, pulling in after dark. Most loopers, you know, are able to successfully avoid darkness if they choose to, um, but occasionally you do have that lock that may, might hold you up. And um, I don't think I've ever heard of a looper arriving after dark that wanted assistance and didn't find it with people out there on the dock with flashlights. So it's just such a great group of people. Um, and this is a beautiful photo. I don't know what bridge it is. Um, tell us about this one. Uh, this is on the Mississippi River. Uh, Rhonda talked about us. Um, we and a group of about maybe six or eight boats, uh, we came down maybe 150 miles on the Mississippi to the Kaskaskia Lock Wall. It's a little river that comes into the Mississippi. There's just a long concrete wall that you can tie up to. It's not a marina, but it's a safe place to be tied up. So we did that. Next morning, we and two other boats, it was Aquaman, and Spinning Dreams, we left. Um, and uh, Andy from Aquaman was a intrepid boater, almost done with his loop and with a lot of California experience before that. So he took the lead. We went out into the Mississippi in kind of some wispy fog. And before maybe 20 minutes happened, we went into this tight, really thick fog bank. And I was very happy to have radar. I was very happy to have AIS and Andy was in front of me and we just took it slow and went on through. I knew where I was situationally from the electronics. But then as we came out of that fog bank, there was that bridge on the Mississippi. This is a photo that Aquaman took looking back at us emerging from the fog. I think it's one of the best shots that I have from the trip. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. And this is, um, looks like you've got a, a tow here and some other looper boats. This, yes, and I'm not sure where that was, actually. I think this is on the uh, Chain of Rocks Canal, which is right where the Illinois River enters the Mississippi. You go down the Mississippi a bit, and then to avoid some rocky areas, this is a canal. So this is a series, probably half a dozen looper boats all heading downstream. And it looks like we're passing a, a, a tow there, which is a push boat pushing a barge. On the rivers, we saw a lot of those. And so you had to learn what's the etiquette. As you're approaching them, you announce who you are, you ask them which side they want you to pass on because they pretty much have control of that. And if you can understand past the very Southern dialect, they'll tell you where they want you. And you pass them on the one whistle or on the two whistle and typically you're following in a group of boats like this, because I know there's a lock just down the way from here entering into St. Louis. So that's kind of a typical scene. It, you know, we're idling along, not going very fast, just kind of taking it easy down the river. And this looks like another group rafted up in a lock. Now this was on the rivers, this was on the rivers too. So that just is an example of when we were saying wrapped it off um, like that. And 
that happened many times going down the going down the rivers and i'm looking to see what's it say mountain mountain breeze mountain wave, mountain wave and honey badger I, so that has to be after ivy uh after right on the illinois river illinois. before we got to the mississippi mm -hmm. but there you know there are a lot of things you learn on that one is you know just uh connecting to another boat someone told us after we did this a few times when you're rafting up you just treat the other boat like it's a dock and so if you're the one who's entering it's up to you to hand them the lines it's up to you to have your fenders out they can too uh and so you know there there are a lot of little and large lessons we learned along the way go ahead that is a good piece of advice though that's not something i've heard before but it makes total sense to think of it that way so whoever gave you that little tidbit uh that's a great tip well they they did and they just said just pretend because we were rafting up to them in an anchorage and they she said just pretend like i'm the dock and you know they had their fenders out we had our fenders out but you know that she said just just think of it that way and it, it was good advice yeah yeah this is the iconic arch picture everybody's got that and you know it took a while to get this because the mississippi is moving pretty fast mm -hmm. and so we had about three or four boats and rhonda had our good camera out we took a bunch of pictures of theirs and then someone circled around back and did the same thing for us and then i think it was at kaskaskia lock that evening we kind of traded phone numbers and texted photos back and forth oh. and this is on your boat i assume that's in the, that's the, when I said we were all crowded in there for docktails <laughs> the, when it was 95 degrees outside. Yeah. And there's a great picture of the two of you. I don't know if you remember where that one was taken. I think that's in Holland. Is it here in Holland? I think it was before we left on the loop, maybe shortly after we had kind of got the boat and had it ready. And we were kind of excited about getting ready to go probably summer of 19. That's the day we left. Yep, that's leaving Yacht Basin in Holland. And that's the day we got <laughs> <laughs> And we had a great group that met us at the dock, including a lot of family, including a number of loopers who traveled from long distances to get here. And it, it, that camaraderie is a huge part of what we enjoyed about the loop. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, Susan Costa. Uh, hey, Susan. Um, I don't know if you're still with us. Uh, that comment was from a few minutes ago, but we did talk about you earlier um, and we talked about your um, Looper's Care projects and the one that Rick and Rhonda got to join you for. So thank you for that. And, and thanks for joining us today. And we've got a shout out from Godspeed too from Tom. Um, hi, Tom. And then Tom Wicks uh, has enjoyed the conversation. He said he's been sitting on his edge of his chair watching every foot of camcording. Um, so yes, it is a great adventure. Um, so welcome, Tom, and thanks for being here. We um, This has really flown by. We've had a lot to talk about. We didn't get to everything on the list. Um, and hey, Susan Webb from Reverie. Um, thanks for being here. So just as we look to wrap up, because we try to keep these to about an hour, um, any advice, you know, what's your best piece of advice for somebody who may be contemplating doing the Great Loop and hasn't 100% decided for sure yet, what, or, or who's planning to go and already knows they're going, um, but what piece of advice do you have for those planners? Well, these are not profound, but I said pack light, <laughs> uh, be flexible. Uh, we, we said, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not get bent out of shape. That was our <laughs> because you have to be flexible don't overthink it and just go because that's some great advice you can sit and you know aim 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 but just fire and go and yeah, it's we, nice in particular i'm so go ahead rick uh, we left a year earlier than we planned to and i'm happy we did otherwise we would have left or not left in the middle of covid right and so it was just one of those things where we said, it's time, let's do this while we're healthy, while we've got the ability. And uh, it was a great experience. Yeah, and Rhonda, it was great to hear you say that, um, you know, to, to get past the planning point and go, um, because I know you mentioned in the beginning that you were um, just by nature a little bit more apprehensive perhaps, and, and you know, 
found out as you went along that there was nothing fearful about this at all for you. So that's some great advice. Um, before we wrap up, I, I know you have some future voting plans. So just go ahead and tell us a little bit about where R&R is right now and what you're planning to do with the next cruising season. Well, it's here in the barn, here in uh, at Eldeen's, yeah, here in Holland, but we're going to head back um, and go back up um, and uh, tour Canada. So we'd like to go through the Trent Severin. We'd like to go over and do the uh, the Rideau Canal, Rideau Canal, uh, that triangle. I think we'll go as far as Montreal, maybe do that triangle and then um, come back. We were toying with the down east loop uh, um, at some point, but I'm not sure if we'll get that done or not. But we really look forward to going back next summer. And um, We've got good friends from Norfolk who are planning to come up the east coast and meet us in Canada. And then we'll do some of these Canadian waterways together. So, and we just met them at the uh, a laundry, you know, just <laughs> don't, don't ever uh, discount where you might run into, you know, your new best friends because they, um, they're everywhere on the loop. Absolutely. And uh, so many people say that it's really the people they met that made the trip special. Um, Rick and Rhonda, R&R, thank you for joining us. This has been an absolute pleasure and congratulations on earning the gold burgee. Kim, thanks for all you do. Appreciate you, Kim. All My right. pleasure. Thanks, thanks to everyone who joined us. We are doing these about once a month at this point, so we will see you all in December. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe and well. Good. Bye Thank all. you. Good night.